Welcome to the Jet Real Podcast. I am your host, Jill Therese, and this week I am answering you guys' questions. I found myself just scrolling through my inbox and being like, oh my god, there's so much effort <laughs> because you guys send me the longest, most beautiful, most moving emails ever. And um, I just feel like I can never do them justice by sitting down and writing them out. And I feel like a lot of people could also benefit from the answers to the questions. So why not share it with all of the audience? Um, so today I'm going to be reading some emails and answering you guys' questions. I haven't quite decided if this is going to be a bonus episode or if I'm going to wait and post it regularly. So we'll see. You'll know before I do. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm just going to read through some of you guys' emails. I will be keeping them anonymous because... Um, you guys fail to say whether or not you're cool with your name being shared. So in the future, if you write me an email and you want me to answer it on the podcast, please let me know if you want me to use your name, your first name. I probably won't use your last name anyway. But do let me know. And uh, without further ado, let's roll this intro music and get rocking and rolling. Alrighty guys, I am back and have some emails pulled up. So, um, you know, I've done this sort of podcast episode in the past. Oh, my mic is twisted. Forgive me for touching it. Um, it's still twisted. What the heck are you doing, my dude? Um, okay, I think I got it fixed. Sorry about that. Um, so, uh, it might, there might be some pauses. I apologize. I will try and move as quickly as humanly possible. But um, I am going to read some of these emails and um, discuss some questions with you guys. So, because um, I, I just, I feel like a lot of people have some doubled questions, you know. So why respond to an email where one person gets the answer and they get seven more emails about the same thing. So might as well just go ahead and kill a few birds with some stones. So first of all. Um, how do you teach backing from the saddle? I want to do it without putting a ton of pressure on my mare or forcing it. She's very sensitive and I don't want to make this hard for her. On the ground, I would back her by standing in front of her and just saying back while walking towards her. She does just fine with that, but how would I teach this behavior from the saddle? So this is a good question and, um, is revolving around, um, cue transfer. Um, at least in my opinion, I mean, you could shape it from the saddle, um, but I think a cue transfer would be your best bet. Also, um, disclaimer before I really dive deep into this, I am not a professional and I can only give you, (laughs) um, advice from my, um, two years of experience in working with positive reinforcement and, um, being a big research nerd about it. So I feel like I know more than most, however, not a professional and, um, you know, can only tell you what I would try. Um, so this person is asking, um, how to teach a horse to back up in the saddle without just getting on and hauling back on their face, you know, the, uh, typically traditional way. Um, you know, most people get on the saddle and, um, you know, pull and apply leg pressure. And when the horse goes forward, they pull a little harder and then the horse stops and takes a step back and then they release. That was, that's usually how it's taught with, um, negative reinforcement and escalating pressure. The horse goes forward, getting the wrong answer. Then you apply more pressure, et cetera, et cetera. So how I would teach backing and how I have with Zoe, um, 
like when I was working with her um, in the neck rope, one of the first things I was teaching her was to stop and to back up for obvious reasons. Um, and the neck rope, since she already knew a verbal cue, it was very easy to transfer it to where I could have a physical cue. If I pulled back on the neck rope, she would stop or back up because I paired it with the verbal cue. Um, Zoe's also just smart and, <laughs> you know, things just tend to click with her sometimes. Um, so, um, just pulling back even, I didn't have to pull very hard and she wasn't, um, it wasn't like, you know, all pressure isn't bad. <laughs> okay. So, um, she wasn't, you know, offended by that at all. She was like, oh, okay, stop. And then I get a treat. So, um, a little more rewarding to have the treat in that instance, I think. However, I think that if you pull back on a horse's mouth until they back due to sheer force and then give them a treat, obviously they're backing because, um, of the sheer force, but with a little teeny tiny neck rope around her neck, um, I'm not physically pulling her back, you know, um, she's responding to a cue. So there is a distinction I'd like to make there. Um, without being too tangential, let's get back to the point here. Um, so what I do on the ground, um, it sounds like you anonymous emailer, um, are, have taught your horse that the cue for backing up is walking towards her while you're in front of her. So maybe what you want to do is, um, start transferring that on the ground to a more subtle cue, because obviously when you're in the saddle, you can't walk towards her. So what you would want to do is do a cue transfer and how that works is you give new cue, old cue, and get the behavior, uh, click treat. So once again, um, new cue, old cue, behavior, click treat. So, um, say your old cue is walking towards her. So you would say maybe back, or if you had a specific sound you wanted to use, I know a lot of people use the sh -sh -sh sound for backing. So you could do that sound and, um, then immediately start walking towards her. And then when she backs, uh, click and treat. Eventually the, the sound or the new cue, the sh, sh or the back is going to become a predictor for her, uh, for you walking towards her, um, which is kind of like, um, you know, how you make secondary reinforcers, like the click predicts food. Um, so the new cue is going to predict the old cue. So the horse is going to be like, oh, okay. So when she says sh, sh or back, I should go ahead and back up because then she's going to start walking towards me. Also, um, I do want to make a note that sometimes the walking towards them can be seen as like an aggressive kind of move. I don't know how you're training it and your horse can be totally fine with it, but just to be aware, everyone out there, if you're starting to teach your horse how to back, um, walking towards them can be, um, a little bit of an aggressive thing. Um, some other ways you can start teaching back is just by scratching your horse on the shoulder and waiting for them to shift their weight in any way, um, back and then clicking for that. And then every time you touch your shoulder, they know that you're asking them to back up. Um, I ran into a problem with that cause that's one of the first things I taught Zoe. And despite never having clicked for it ever again, um, she still backs every time I touch her shoulder when we're working. Um, so <laughs> outside of any other context, she doesn't, but it's just when we're working, she's like, no, very serious. You cannot pet me while we're training. Um, that's fine. So, but, um, anyway, just something to caution you with. Um, how I have Zoe back up is I stand in front of her and I, um, lean my body forward. I don't take a step. I just lean forward. And I also say back and, um, I also have like a point, like I will stand at her shoulder or back and point backwards and kind of shake my finger. Like if you were telling a snake 
It's very bad. You're a bad snake. Um, <laughs> I picked a snake because I hope you're not doing that to children or other animals. Because um, it can be perceived as hitting. But snakes are like, whatever. Screw you, I'm a snake. Um, so if you're shaking your finger and you're like, you're a very bad snake. Um, that's kind of how I do it. Just back up, back up, back up. Like an airplane director. Um, <laughs> don't know why I felt the need to over-explain that. Um, but those are my cues for backing up. So back and leaning forward, standing in front of her, and um, the handshaking one. Um, uh, I also can stand behind her, and uh, she'll back up um, with the cue. So these are things to consider. There are other alternatives, endless amounts of cues. I mean, you could say pineapple and your horse could back up. It's just all dependent on how you train it. Um uh, but yeah, so you can make that cue transfer. Um, and maybe you can back off walking. Maybe you just take one step in her direction and pause. And when she backs, click and treat. Um, so you can start breaking that down. So it's not such an exaggerated walking towards her, you know, and it's maybe you can uh, reduce it down to just a, a lean forward. Um, and then, um, eventually your cue will work. And, um, just make sure it's very distinct that you can say it the same way every time. Um, like back, you say it the same way every time. So it just sounds like a very distinct sound to the horse. And they're like, oh, this is what I need to do. That's why some people go with the shh, shh, shh sound. It's a very specific sound that is easy to replicate. Um, that's why we warn um, to be very deliberate with verbal cues. Uh, because um, like hand signals and stuff, those are very easy to replicate because your hand is the same every time. But um verbal cue sometimes is a little bit more difficult, but, um, you know, just be sure that you can say it the same way. And, um, when you're, um, so this is when, oops, sorry, I bumped it. Um, so, uh, when you want to begin your, uh, cue transfer after you've got it on the ground where she's backing, whenever you give your chosen cue that you can do from the saddle, whether it's touching her wither or her shoulder, um, or you're saying back or sh- sh- like whatever your cue is for back. Then when you're on her, um, and sometimes it helps to have another person. So if you can have a person that can give your cue from the ground, um, so then you would do new cue, old cue, behavior, click, treat, um, from the saddle. So maybe up top you say back. And if the horse doesn't back, the person on the ground would say back. And then her knowing that, um, she is to back when a person on the ground standing in front of her perhaps says back then, um, which brings me to another point, pausing, hold that thought. Um, make sure that you can do it anywhere around the horse. Uh, that's a really good way to test if your verbal cue is working or if your horse is paying attention to your body language, because you could be standing in front of her saying back and she backs up consistently every single time. But if you stand at her side and say back and it doesn't work, she's probably responding more to your body than the word. Um, so make sure you generalize it all around the horse and that'll make it easier in the saddle as well. Um, so as I was saying, when you're working in the saddle, if you, if you have the luxury of having another person, which I do not, so I feel you, um, but, uh, the person you could give the new cue, you would say back the same cue it is on the ground, have the person repeat it or give the, um, body cue or visual cue, I guess you would call it. And, um, and then click and treat when the horse gives a proper response. And you can also work to transferring that like I did to like a neck rope or a bridle where you just don't escalate pressure. You say your cue you um, or you give the new cue, old cue. So you might pull on the rein, say back, and when the horse backs, release pressure, click a treat. Um, so again, the pattern, new cue, old cue, behavior, click treat. So um, and 
ideally you wouldn't be like pulling on the horse's face or anything like that. It would just be like a light pressure like I was doing with the neck rope. Um, so that was 10 minutes of me explaining backing. Do you see why I thought it would be better to answer in a podcast episode? Because I feel like it's just, I can be so much more thorough. Um, cause I would definitely would not have typed all of that in an email. My emails can get pretty long, but, um, I just feel like it's better to do it on the podcast. So, um, moving right along, um, another email, let me find, um, okay. So this individual emailed me and said, um, living in the UK as an adult rider, finally getting to start riding has always loved horses, but um, felt like riding wasn't for her because um, she's uncomfortable uh, with the traditional methods, which is common for new riders, especially. You know, we forget as people that have been riding for a really long time how kind of barbaric equestrianism can seem. I mean, you're getting on an animal, you have a piece of metal in its mouth that you're controlling it with, and you're being told to kick it with your legs and you're like I would ne- I don't want to kick an animal I wouldn't kick a dog and you get on a horse you're told to kick or hit it with a whip or um I can't tell you how many times I've heard trainers say rip his face off blah 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 and I just am like and you get desensitized to it after a while as you know a young rider you're like okay well this is what the authority is telling me to do these people have been riding for years they must know something I don't um so you you get used to it and you get desensitized and you're like, this is just how things are. And eventually you grow to start defending it. (laughs) Um, That is called reducing cognitive dissonance. Um, You begin to um, believe, I forget whether that is conformity, compliance. There are different, different types of um, believing something that you didn't believe in, in order to reduce cognitive dissonance, which is a psychology tangent, but essentially you don't, or you believe in something, somebody tells you the opposite but you, you do what they're telling you to do, even though you don't believe in it. So one of two things has to happen. You either have to stop doing what they're telling you to do or start believing that it's the right thing to do and change your belief. So what do you do in the equestrian industry? Most of us change our beliefs because we want to keep riding and that's what we're told to do. Um, anyway, sorry for the tangent. It's just on my brain. Um, okay. So Um, felt like maybe riding wasn't for me because I was uncomfortable with the traditional methods of learning to ride. My trainers would tell me to kick it or hit him with the crop. And I felt like so, so sad. It was not fun. I was worried that maybe I was too old to learn and maybe it was just too late for me or that I was the problem, which is also not uncommon. Um, it's just, it sucks that we try to like really beat out the compassion in people. Um, anyway, continuing on her email. So obviously I know the Jet Reel podcast now and I've been listening to In the Spirit of Horse and it's, which is another podcast, um, uh, by Mosey Truitt. Her podcast is amazing. I love it also. Um, anyway, continuing. It's such a relief to have somebody talk about riding and working with horses in a way that feels so right for me. Thank you. Appreciate that. (laughs) Always good to hear that the podcast is relatable. Um, The problem uh, is that as of writing this email, there are no schools that I can learn this way in the UK. My question is, is it worth continuing to learn to ride traditionally and keep the idea of one day owning or having my own horse that I can train with positive reinforcement as a sort of light at the end of the tunnel? Or should I wait it out, research, save up and wait until I'm in the position where I can have the time and money to have a horse of my own? Any advice is welcome. Um continuing info goal is not to show just want a buddy for trail rides though um if i get a horse that loves to jump that'd be great um okay so uh yeah all right cool um 
so that is the question and I get this question a lot and um, it's it's a perfectly reasonable answer I mean you aren't comfortable with the traditional training methods I feel like it would be comparable to being in an area where um, dog training revolves around um, pinch collars and um, being really aggressive with your dog and you're like I don't want to train him like that so like what do I do you know I want to learn how to train my dog but I don't want to do it that way um, not technically a super accurate comparison um, because dog training is primarily positive reinforcement these days um, but horse training is most certainly not um, so my advice to you is obviously you have two paths here um, you could do the latter that you suggested where you just save and research and learn as much as you can um, uh, and that is a fine route to take the issue is um, building up muscle memory and the skills to ride a horse. And it's, I'm not saying it can't be done, um, you know, on your own, but it is very difficult. Um, the alternative is that there are lots of online trainers that are more than willing to help and, um, you can send videos and have, um, video lessons and critiques. It's just, it's never going to be the same as having your coach standing in front of you, in real time telling you, um, what they would like to see you do differently. Um, so that is my, that's the only con really. Um, which leads me to the next option. You, um, can explore the barns in your area, which it sounds like you have to some extent and pick the barn that you, that aligns closest with you. Obviously it's not going to be perfect because, um, you know, it's going to be a traditional training scenario and, um, you know, I mean, hopefully you can find a trainer and be like, look, I respect you as a professional, but I am not comfortable, um, whipping a horse. Um, you know, just lay out your boundaries and be like, I, I understand that that is just the way it is done, but I'm not comfortable doing it. Is there any way that I can still learn how to ride a horse and be a horseman and practice, um, without doing that? You know, and I'm sure, <laughs> um, you know, at least a reasonable professional would be like, yes, we can find you a horse that you don't have to whip. Um, at least I should hope. Um, and you know, you can be upfront and just be like, look, I just want to learn. I know that I am the ignorant party here, but please, can you allow me to learn without doing that? Um, or if it needs to be done, would you get on the horse and do it? Um, so, I mean, there are ways around it. You just have to, it's so hard to be that confrontational. I, trust me, I understand. Um, it took me a long time to get there as well. But these days, I'm more of the mind to just be like, like when I'm in a lesson and a trainer is like, um, you know, on my boss's horse, sometimes I'll go to a trainer and um, they'll have me whip the horse or whatever. And I just, they're like, give him a whip or a tap on the bum. And I just don't do it. And they're like, don't tap him. And I just doesn't do it. And they're like, okay, it's not happening. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's such a tricky position to be in. It really is. And I, I empathize severely. Um, because I mean, as a horse person that grew up not wanting to hit their horse, um, it is, it is a quote unquote necessary evil apparently in the horse world, but good news is it's not necessary and you can say no. You have full liberty to say no and, um, you can still learn how to ride because that is the tricky part. You know, I mean, it's not really like dog training because I mean, you can practice and practice and practice, but, um, it's just, it's so different and it's such its own breed of learning. Um, and it really takes a lot of muscle memory and skill and, um, 
it can be done, especially if you're not really wanting to do too many um, tenuous things like jumping or competing or anything like that. Um, but just learning, how, like feeling out your seat and learning how to steer and put your leg on and, um, you know, all the different things that you have to do when you're riding, just learning how to coordinate all that. It really does take, um, some practice. So, um, you know, I mean, you could do it for a few, like a month or so and see how it goes. And if you're just really uncomfortable, you can always quit and see if you can find somewhere else, but it is not unreasonable to ask that you not hit the horse. And, um, yeah, I think, I think that that would totally be within reason. Okay. So I hope I answered that question. I did to my, the best of my ability. Um, I hope that I gave you some hope and that you are allowed to express your boundaries. It's not, it's not impossible. Um, moving on to the next question, um, for the podcast, um, Watching your YouTube, I've always admired how you find professionals you can trust and people that expose you to new ideas. Um, that kind of makes, <laughs> that is just the perception of the internet, um, the fault on that, because, um, you know, in light of recent events, I don't know if there are professionals that I can trust, the ones that I have used in the past. Um, but nixing that point, obviously you can't always know, I'm continuing her email, by the way, um, obviously you can't always know people you are sourcing information from all right but what are the things you look for when looking for a professional in different fields um, such as your vet I'm just trying to learn as much as possible because I'm constantly running into people with conflicting ideas I find this issue most present in the equine industry so I was wondering what your take was um uh, if you have a fair bit of info on this love to see a podcast if not blah 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 blah. okay so that is the question um I will answer it on the podcast dear emailer um so difficult to answer um, in Arkansas, I kind of take whichever vet I can get. Um, they're usually all very, very busy. I, th- I currently have two that, um, we frequent and, um, you know, I mean, it's just whoever is not called away on an emergency right now because I mean, two vets in our area is not really enough for all of the horses that we have in Arkansas. So, um, it is a bit just whoever we can take. But as far as, um, you know, if you have your pick, I would just have a conversation with them and kind of ask what their like ethical principles are. Um, I mean, most of them have a website or a Facebook page where you can read about their, um, certifications, how long they've been practicing, what their beliefs are, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, um, you can look into all of that. Um, most of what I have been doing because, um, my vet as I love him, dearly my primary vet love him dearly but he is he is a bit aged so he tends to be a bit traditional and um i mean i can't totally fault him i couldn't imagine trying to keep up with everything you know all of the new products like i mean for navicular um you know the primary treatment is osphos but um in recent years equibone has become more of the treatment and if you have a horse that is navicular please look into equibone at least call tlc animal nutrition um, that's TLC animal nutrition. If I didn't say that enunciated, um, but, um, I've recently talked to them and I'm going to put Zoe on it. It's insane. Not because she has navicular, but because of kissing spine and her hawks and all the good stuff. So, um, it's so weird to say that Zoe has kissing spine, whatever. Um, anyway, um, highly recommend that by the way. Um, we've had, uh, one of our horses grew a whole stifle, but I think, this podcast is probably going to go live after my kissing spine episode. So, 
Um, it depends on if I decide to make it a bonus episode or not, but um, I will be talking about that one way or another in the Kissing Spine episode at length. So um, anyway, moving on from that, how do you trust a professional? Um, usually you can tell by the way that they talk. Um, and, you know, like I said, my vet, I love him and I respect him. And that man knows way more than I could ever dream of knowing about horses and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, he is a bit older, so his methods are tried and true, um, but they're not the most up-to-date methods. So, um, you know, looking at a vet who is always, and my vet does, but to clarify, I don't want to just like put my vet down. He's awesome. But um, I would imagine that there are vets out there that are like super adamant and do research and that sort of thing. Um, but looking for a vet who is uh, open to continuing education and going to lectures and staying up to date on all the new technology instead of getting locked into um, like all the old technologies and stuff. Because like, you know, a lot of vets would tell you to put a horse down that has navicular, but a vet that's more familiar with um, updated methods and like new research and stuff might suggest something like Equibone. Um, so yeah, those things to consider. Um, professionals as far as riding goes, um, it's really hard to tell without um, just riding under the person because I mean, a trainer can have all the credentials in the world and you may just not click with them. Um, you know, that's been my experience. Um, I went through a ton of trainers. <laughs> um, but really, it's just because my beliefs didn't line up with them, and I wasn't totally aware of that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, all, all of them have meant well, for the most part, I think. But, um, yeah, it's, I think you just have to, like, look at what they've done. Obviously, I wouldn't really be riding with an event coach who's never evented before, who doesn't know the rules or has never been, you know, um, a barrel racer who's an event coach might not be the best bet. Um, you know, somebody who's experienced in the field has ridden a bunch of horses. I also probably wouldn't ride under somebody who exclusively rides made horses, quote unquote, you know, um, somebody who can ride the younger horses and sort out problems. Cause a lot of trainers are very good at, um, you know, the basic stuff, but a lot of them aren't fantastic at problem solving. Um, for instance, uh, my trainer, I mean, not to speak ill on her, um, because I mean, I have no ill will towards her. It's just, everybody is where they're at. Um, but it was never suggested to me that my horse had, um, kissing spine or needed her hawk son or anything like that. It was just, she's a hot mare. Um, you know, so that, ability to problem solve and, uh, look beyond, uh, calling the horse names is something also to value in a, in an instructor or a clinician. Um, uh, to me now, especially it would be a red flag. Um, you know, a clinician or a coach being like, oh, well, you know, that horse is just hot or in order to ride a hot horse, you have to blah, 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 blah. I would, um, hope that we would be looking at some other factors because horses are generally very peaceful animals. I've said it once, I'll say it again. Um, they don't want to be psychotic. So if they're acting psychotic, it is because there is a problem. <laughs> um, and I will stand by that till the day I die. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, I would just say, um, look into stuff like that. Also, as far as sourcing information, like right now, 
I am doing, and this is the reason that I'm recording this episode before I record the Kissing Spine episode, even though it'll probably go up after the Kissing Spine episode, um, is because I'm still uh, doing research. I'm reading studies, um, like published studies about um, Kissing Spine and what the best results of what treatments were. Not Heels Down Magazine articles, and while those are very informative, um, I also want to hear it from the veterinarians that did the studies and, um, like, getting on EBSCOhost and reading them, um, like, .org websites. Um, so looking into research, knowing how to use it, not trusting magazines, um, and if the magazine gives a reference, reading that reference and cross-checking it, blah, 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 blah. Um, and that's not even always the best way to learn because lots of those, um, well, I mean, I don't even know. A lot of the magazines will be like, well, horses have to learn this way because of dominance theory and dominance theory has been disproven. But a lot of articles say that, you know, they have to, you have to dominate them. So, I mean, you really just have to be careful about what you're looking into. So I, I definitely feel you, emailer, that it is, it is very difficult to know where you can um, look and find um, good quality information. But um, yeah, I think that about covers that question. On to the next. So um, next email reads, I have a seven-year-old chestnut mare. I've had her for about nine months. A few months ago, she had the beginning stages of ulcers. We put her on GastroGuard and she recently was kicking out at my leg while riding. She is constantly angry and rears up while ri- when riding. I'm not sure how I should fix this. Maybe you have a suggestion. Um, okay, first prefacing, I am not a vet nor a professional, nor have I ever laid eyes on this horse, so it is very difficult for me to say for sure, but if I had to take a stab at um, what could be going on because of the information you have provided, I would say that um, the ulcers have not been eliminated and the um, behavioral or the psychological expectation has not been eliminated either. So if the horse has been diagnosed with ulcers, um, you can still, there is, you can go on YouTube and type in how to palpate a horse for ulcers or um, how to check if your horse has ulcers. And there's a DePaulo Equine Concepts uh, video um, with uh, the vet, uh, Dr. DePaulo. Um, uh and he makes a video on how you can palpate and test a horse for ulcers. Um, follow that. He also has links to his website. Um, and in the comments, um, like on the caption of his video, and you can go to his website and they have like, um, a blog and I believe it's under like digestive health or whatever. And you can read about how to change your horse's diet and, um, things you can do treatment wise. Um, because a lot of what happens with ulcers is, um, the horses, you treat them with gastrogar, but they come right back um, because the horse is on a high sugar food and in a high stress lifestyle. Um, so the only way to fix that is to have the horse have access to 24-7 forage. He needs to have access to grass or hay at all times. I mean, a little bit trickier with, um, you know, fat foundering horses, but um, this is a seven-year-old chestnut mare, and I believe I got this same message in a DM that I've read that I haven't had time to answer because (laughs) this is a heavy topic. Um, and I believe it's an OTDB could be totally wrong. Um, but I'm pretty sure it is. Um, which typically you're, uh, it's hard to founder a thoroughbred usually if, um, unless they're fed well, which is often not the case. Um, 24 seven access to 
forage. They need to be able to be eating at all times. Horses' stomachs are constantly producing acid. And if the horses are not eating, then the acid is tearing up their stomach instead of breaking down food um, because they're, they're foragers. That's what they're designed to do. They are designed to graze all day long. So if you're interrupting that process, then, I mean, you're going to get ulcers. Um, they're also not really designed to have two square meals a day, but um, sometimes it's not preventable, like in my situation. Um, so feeding a really, really low sugar food. Look at the label on your horse's feed. And if the first ingredient is molasses, change feeds. Um, and like we feed um, Blue Bonnet X Factor right now. I think it's a 3% sugar, which is still higher than I would like, but it's done a drastic drastic change on all of our horses out here and like we didn't treat them with um like you know every single one of them that was probably ulceric we didn't treat them with ulcer guard or gastro guard um a lot of them it just resolved on its own because of the lack of um sugar in their diet which horses bodies are not designed to intake a lot of sugar so um you know, a lot of our feeds have 7 to 10% sugar, especially, especially the ones designed for sensitive stomach and ulcer-prone horses have the highest levels of sugar. And if you look at any literature, scientific literature on horses, they're not supposed to be eating that high level of sugar. So reduce it as much as you can, and it will help so much. Also decreasing the amount of stress the horse is under. If when you're riding your horse, it is a constant battle and the horse is anxious and like it sounds like it is, it's kicking out at your leg and rearing up, like maybe take it down a notch. Um, having a horse that's constantly that stressed and as you say, angry, um, it's not a happy horse. Um, so something has to give. I would say that the issue is most likely ulcers because most horses are not having a problem being under saddle. Um, so what I would do if this were my horse is I would give the horse a month off at least um, and just work on it from the ground. Just work with the horse, be with the horse, work on your bond, teach it some tricks or something, change feeds, put it on a low sugar food and um, treat, treat it with ulcers without riding. Treat the ulcers that way and then um, uh, start working on uh, reassociating the saddle and the girth, because I would bet money that this horse is also biting at you when you girth it up, if it's kicking out at your leg while you're riding. Um, so, uh, what I would do is work up successively. And I've talked about this in a podcast episode before. I think it was called like behavioral issues or something. It's like episode seven or something of season one. Um, and I might do a similar episode soon, but essentially just work up successive approximation. I did it with Zoe. I did it with Dave. I did it with Twinkie. Um, uh, one of the horses that we had out here would fall over on his side in the cross ties because he was so stressed about the girth. I am, I'm literally not make, I cannot make this shit up. Like he would stand in the cross ties and you'd put the saddle on him and his eyes would start closing and he would get real wobbly. And I like, before I knew what was going on, I had to have, like, I had to have him walking while I girthed him up. Um, otherwise he would fall over and he fell over on my saddle once in the cross ties. Cause I was like, surely he won't. And he did. He totally fell over because he was so stressed out. He would pass out and like, you, I can't fix that. And I mean, I'm lucky he wasn't trying to bite me because if he went the aggressive route, he would have killed me. <laughs> um, but we had plenty, we've had plenty of horses that are aggressive when you do that. And what you have to do is make it a positive experience because if the horse is having an issue with you girthing him up, 
and, you know, they're turning around and biting you while you're cinching the girth, if you're punching them in the face, which is the most common solution, if you're hitting the horse or beating them or telling them to get over it, how much more are they going to like being girthed up? The, the logic, from my understanding and from what I used to be told and what I used to do, um, even though I quit doing it because it wasn't working at all, um, and I understand it works for some horses, great, good for you, um, but um, I would much rather go the pleasant route. But imagine that, um, you know, somebody's putting a strap around your belly um, right in a spot where um, your stomach hurts really bad like your ribs are bruised or something, and somebody puts a, a girth around it, and um, you say, hey, stop that, that hurts, and they punch you in the face. Are you going to like being girthed? No, every time that person brings a girth out, you're going to get a really shitty attitude because you're like, it's going to hurt. But if the person, if you pin your ears at the person, figuratively, of course, and say, hey, that's going to hurt, and they back off, then you're like, thank you. And, you know, what happens often is horses, like, swish their tail or stomp their feet or maybe pin their ears lightly, but then they escalate to kicking at you and biting because you're not listening that it's hurting when you're doing up the girth. Girthing up should not hurt a horse. The only cases that it hurts a horse is when they have pain somewhere, you know? Um, So a normal reaction to a girth is not biting and kicking out. Um, So it should be should be taking a really hard look at if your horse is kicking out or biting at you. Um, I would really advise you to listen to your horse before someone gets hurt and the horse can stop getting hurt Um, because it is a really big deal. Um, So as I was saying, um, what I do is I isolate the thing that is causing the problem. So I will put the saddle pad on and some horses will pin their ears at the sight of the saddle pad. Um, and you just have to work work up to it. But I need to preface and say that this will only work if the pain has been eliminated. You cannot make a horse like being girthed up if it hurts every time. But what we're doing in the training process is after you've eliminated the issue of the ulcers and the pain, then you have to work through the psychological expectation. So the horse is going to expect it to hurt every time you girth them up. Um, because they've lived in pain, you know, or the girth has always predicted that they're gonna, that their stomach is gonna hurt, um, or the saddle's gonna hurt. Um, so after you rule out, um, that ulcers are the issue and the horse is totally fine, you palpate them and you don't get a reaction, um, or scope them for, you know, thoroughness sake, and, um, You bring out the saddle pad and um, I let them sniff it and give them a treat and then maybe scratch them uh, with the saddle pad in my hand and, you know, put my hand under the saddle pad like a rag and scratch them with it. And I'm giving treats this entire time. Just it is a positive experience. We are happy to be here. Everything is good. And I cannot stress enough that this will only work if the horse is no longer in pain. You must make sure that that happens first. It's crucial. And then when you put the saddle pad on, you give them treats, same with the saddle, let them sniff it, lift it up, give them treats. You know, if the horse pins its ears at any point during this process, you need to go back to the step before when the horse was comfortable. And then you gradually work up. So say you have the saddle pad, the saddle, and now you have the girth. I've worked with horses that the jingling of the girth, they'll pin their ears. They don't like it. They know what's coming. So sometimes I just jingle the girth 
and then give them a treat and then jingle it again, give them a treat, let them sniff it and, um, you know, rub it on their shoulder or their back and like it's good, everything is fine. Just anything that is a step before putting it on the billets to put it on the horse. And then I work up from there and, you know, I put it on the billets and uh, let it dangle and I'm giving treats for every single step. All the horse has to do is stand still with a pleasant expression. Um, and yeah, so just, and then I'll go to the other side and I'll, you know, pet the horse's shoulder, give them a treat, pet the horse's elbow, give them a treat, then run my hand on their, the side of their belly, give them a treat, then under, give them a treat. Then I touch their stomach, give them a treat and maybe apply a little upward pressure with either my hand or I wrap my arm around their belly. Like it's like, it's my arm is the girth being careful not to get kicked. Um, but hopefully if you do this right, you will not get kicked because, uh, you'll be paying so much attention to the horse's expression that if their eye looks worried or their ears go back or their nostrils scrunch, like any of that you, is a sign you need to go back to the prior step. Um, and you might not get all this done in one go. You know, you might have to just nix riding for the day and just plan on taking the time to rehab your horse and its brain the right way. You would want the time taken with you, so do the same for your horse. And, um, so then the next step would be to, you know, pull the girth under and then click and treat or just treat if you're not a clicker trainer. Um, and just keep doing that, you know, just like, you know, touch the girth to the horse's stomach, let it go. Um, you know, maybe put it on one, uh, to tighten it a little bit and then drop it all together and then tighten it again, drop it all together, tighten it, and then maybe latch it for a second, unlatch it, and then, you know, you're treating each of these steps. And if you're a person that doesn't like treats, um, you can try using scratches, but make sure that touch or scratches are not aversive to your horse. A lot of times, horses that have ulcers, um, their skin is really sensitive. Um, it's kind of like having, you know, like if you have your ponytail up really high and it's, it's wrong and your hair hurts, that's, um, people who don't have heavy hair. I don't know if you'll be able to relate to that, but, um, it's like that, but all over their body. It's really sensitive. Um, so scratches may not be the best. And if, if you can't give your horse treats to make his life better, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but at least in this scenario, because eventually you won't have to use treats in this particular scenario. I do anyway, because I like for everything to just be a continued positive experience for my horse. And, um, you know, giving treats is always going to be a positive experience. Um, so, uh, yeah, but eventually once the horse starts to associate um, the girth with good things, then you don't have to do it anymore. You don't have to, being the keyword. Should you want to? Perhaps. Um, but like, Zoe was Zoe was like this. I had to do this with her. Um, where uh, anytime I brought out the saddle, she just pinned her ears and would start dancing in the cross ties. Now she stands and just hangs out the whole time. And um, she stands in the same place. She does not move around. And... Um, I can girth her up very quickly and I give her treats the whole time. And it takes me the same amount of time it does to tack up any other horse. Um, and same with the girth. I mean, she's totally fine with it now. And it used to be a serious problem. Um, the, but, um, I'm laughing about another topic, but I will get into that on the kissing spine episode. Um, anyway, so to finish this question, um, so you've got the beginning stages of ulcer. Um, so, you know, what I'm saying, uh, my treatment plan would be at least a month off, do the recommended, um, treatment. I know at least on ulcer guard, I'm pretty sure gastro guard does too, but on the box, it'll have it, um, 
an ulcer eliminating like treatment protocol and they also have like a maintenance kind of thing or a situational like if they're going on the trailer or something um so follow that those instructions to a t um give the horse a month off and work with them on the ground and after um you're done treating the ulcers and the horse palpates and or scopes clean then i would begin working um on the saddle as i just explained at length i didn't mean to but i did and so if you've heard it once you heard it again um but that's how much you have to break it down to make sure that the horse is truly comfortable with it. And then, tr- like, I mean, sometimes, like I said, you may not get to the saddle or you may not get to the girth. That's fine. Stay with where the horse is comfortable and don't push it. Make it a positive experience. You don't want to upset the horse and just make it worse so that you're just perpetuating the cycle of every time the girth or saddle comes out, the horse, you know, is unhappy and then is therefore associating negative emotions with not only the saddle and the experience but also with you so make it a good experience for everyone and it's not hard to do I like I said I have done it with tons of horses and this was at the beginning of my clicker training adventure so um it's not hard to do um you just have to be diligent and intelligent about it and then you've then you'll help your horse a lot um so Do that for a couple of times until the horse is really just comfortable and then you can start, um, you know, breaking it down to where maybe you put the saddle pad on, give the horse a treat, put the saddle on, give the horse a treat, do the girth up on one side, give the horse a treat, you know, pull the girth up while you watch them, give them a treat, and then pull the girth up to tighten it, give them a treat, actually tighten it, give them a treat, you know, like you can break it down to where it goes very quickly Um, or speed it up after you get the initial training down. Um, but really what you're doing is counter conditioning. You are taking an original negative association, like a, or a stimulus, which would be the saddle or the girth and, um, recreating an association. And I'm going to have to do the same thing. Um, you know, with me riding Zoe because she has kissing spine and after, like, I can't ride her right now at all, but after, um, we figure out what we're going to do treatment wise, which I'm pretty sure I know what I'm going to do, but, um, after we get her treated for it, it's going to be time off. And then once I get back going, I'm going to have to, you know, retrain riding because it's been so aversive to her for so long. So, um, you know, and emailer, you may have to do that same thing with your horse. Um, so in short, um, I would do the treatment check, make sure the horse is clean, then, um, start counter conditioning the girth and the saddle and then um, doing light rides that are very relaxing, you know, not asking too much, and just gradually working back up to um, your training uh, plan. And just if you notice that the horse is pinning her ears while you're riding, maybe it's time to reevaluate. Maybe she has kissing spine, or maybe she needs her hocks done. I mean, there are so many reasons that a horse could be unhappy. And um, oftentimes, ulcers are a side effect of, um, you know, they're, they're caused by stress predominantly or poor diet. Um, so if the horse, every time you're riding it is in pain, then the horse is stressed and it's, you know, screwing up its stomach, um, and giving it ulcers. So, um, you know, maybe you need to have just a general exam done, you know, maybe some flexions, make sure she's not, not sound anywhere. And, um, you know, check her spine. Maybe that's why she's kicking out or rearing up because she's in pain. Those are common symptoms of uh, kissing spine, actually. Um, so, I mean, it's worth taking a look at the entire horse and making sure that she's not in pain anywhere because I promise you, you will only get hurt or just have a horse that is silently living in pain if you don't 
check on those things or be serious about a training plan um, or a recovery rehab plan. Um, because like with Zoe, I'm sure she's had kissing spine for four to five years and nobody knew, you know, and that's the topic for the other episode. But, um, yeah, so that is my long winded answer to that question. Um, I think, let me see if I can find one more email. So here we go on to the next email. Um, Dear Jill, I was wondering if there is a specific kind of horse that would do really well with positive reinforcement because I've been working with this horse, insert horse name, and I've tried everything um, and I can't get her to a point where she's happy, especially during transitions when doing a walk to trot. She pins her ears, slings her tail, throws out her hind end and goes really slow, then zooms forward. She's a lesson horse and I think from kids pulling on her mouth and kicking her, she associates going forward with pain and I've been trying uh, to get her comfortable with going forward and not hurting. And we have been doing good and she's gotten a little happier, but only for a bit. And I think she might be a good candidate for positive reinforcement, but I'm not sure where to start. Anyway, I'm rambling, but if you could get back to me with some ideas or know how to help me, it would mean the world. Um, all I want is for her to be happy doing her job and not be in pain. She loves jumping and hadn't done a lot, uh, with being with little kids. So I've been doing a lot of jumping with her. She definitely doesn't trust me, so I'm working on that. Uh, And with grooming, she tries to kick me and gets really upset. I'm sure it's because little kids and she was a rescue and got abused, so I think it's the trust thing. But anyway, that's her backstory. Sorry, it was long. Take your time answering. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. Um, Yeah, so making sure other email. Sometimes people accidentally send me the same email twice. Oh, I see. It's a PS. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah, so this email ties in perfectly with the last one. Um, the last question that I just answered. Um, so it sounds like this horse also has an issue going on because I, oops, um, want to reiterate horses are not animals that enjoy being aggressive. Um, if you watch horses out in a field, the time that they are happiest is when they are just peacefully grazing. They are not happy when they're pinning their ears and kicking out. That is not the way they want to live. And it's not the way anything wants to live. You don't want to live angry and yelling at people all the time. Horses don't either. So if they're doing it, it's not their demeanor. Something is wrong and it needs to be changed, which you would think would be a no-brainer, but in the equestrian industry, for some reason, it is not. Um, We like to just label that as a personality trait. It's a fundamental attribution error and it's stupid. Um, (laughs) Sorry to be so frank, but it is. Um, Anyway, so um, it sounds like um, emailer, you are incredibly compassionate and really just want the best for your horse, which is incredible (laughs) that you're even like asking. Um, and so mad, 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 mad props to you for that. Um, what I would suggest is like I said, for the other horse is, um, getting the horse checked out, you know, see if she's got, um, you know, it, like even if there's no like kissing spine or anything like that, she could be back sore. Um, sometimes horses act like that because their saddle doesn't fit. There are endless amounts of reasons um, why horses act like that. It could also be because she's been around a bunch of annoying little kids um, for sure. So, I mean, just being a positive influence around her, um, absolutely, that'll just change over time. But if she doesn't like to be brushed, that is a really good indicator of ulcers. Um, so maybe get that checked out, um, as well. Um, yeah, so check for ulcers, maybe, um, double check that the saddle fits. 
um, have a fitter out. Um, you know, maybe it needs to be reflocked or you need, um, a different kind. Um, uh, check for kissing spine or, um, you know, any back problems. Maybe she's just out, needs to see a chiropractor. Um, you know, there are endless things that you can do. Um, but, you know, it sounds like you really, really care about this horse and it sucks, dude. I am so there with you. It, it is very difficult to be in this position. I have been going through it for a long time. So I definitely, definitely, definitely empathize. It is the worst. Um, but yeah, I would definitely have her looked at, um, and not just assume that it's just her association with kids, um, and past, um, you know, sounds like with little kids and being a rescue and an abuse history, um, that sounds like a horse that's been living in anxiety. Um, so ulcers are, would be my first go-to checking for that. And like I said, there's a video to Palo Equine Concepts. I will email you specifically the link and, um, uh, to all of that. But like I said, you can just go on YouTube, type in, um, check a horse for ulcers and you'll find the video and in the description he has links to his website and you can look at their um library or whatever they call it um let me look it is d p a it's d a p a or d e p a l o um oh my god did i spell that wrong d e p a o l o equineconcepts.com and you can go to their health library and scroll down to um, digestive health, and they have two articles, equine ulcers and EGUS. I don't know what that is, to be honest with you. And then ulcer treatment protocol. Both of those articles are absolutely fantastic and worth the read, whether your horse is exhibiting those symptoms or not. It's better that you know, so that if your horse does start exhibiting them, you'll be like, I know exactly what this is. Um, so definitely look into that. Um, and emailer, I will be sending you that info shortly. Um, but yeah, um, I think at 53 minutes, that is going to wrap up this little Q and a episode. I think I got through all of the emails that I could be, um, answering on the podcast and I'll start doing this more frequently because frankly, I would rather spend an hour talking and thoroughly explaining it than spending an hour answering 10 emails poorly. (laughs) Um, sometimes it's just easier to explain verbally than it is to type it all out, especially when it can go so many different directions. Um, but yeah, I think that is going to do it. If you have a question that you would like me to answer on the podcast, um, please explicitly state that you would like me to, um, answer it on the podcast, um, so that I know, and that'll help me sort it in my brain a little bit better. Um, but yeah, shoot me an email, jetrealpodcast at gmail.com. It's J-E-T-R-E-A-L-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, you can also message me on Jet Real Podcast on Instagram. You can shoot me a DM. Um, please also explicitly state that you would like me to answer it on the podcast um, or that I could answer it on the podcast would also help. Um, but if you want me to keep your question private, that's cool too. Just let me know. Um, beyond that, you can check me out on uh, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter at Jet Equitheory. And uh, yeah, I will catch you guys next Tuesday for the next episode of this podcast. I hope you enjoyed. Have a safe week and I'll catch you guys next time. Bye.